0: M S W media so renato judge chutkin has agreed with the trump team that they do not need to be preparing for trial while his immunity appeal is pending does this mean we're never going to see a trial in this case <sighs>
1: it's complicated I'm Renata Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a legal analyst.
0: And I'm Asha Rangappa. I teach national security law at Yale University. I'm a former FBI special agent, and I'm a legal contributor for ABC News.
1: And we're here to help you understand topics that can't be boiled down into a soundbite or a tweet. So Asha, I'm sure this has got to seem crazy to some of our listeners, Uh, having Judge Chutkin say to the Trump team, like, you guys don't need to be doing any work. Uh, You don't need to be uh, prepping for trial. And hey, I may be uh, delaying the trial date. I actually think she made the right decision, but I'm sure a lot of people listening are going to be pulling their hair out.
0: So let's just lay out the landscape, what we would call. As lawyers, the procedural posture of the case. So, Trump has claimed that he has absolute immunity from prosecution in this January 6th trial. And that issue was ruled upon by Judge Chutkin. Um, She ruled against him. And then it went up on appeal to the DC Circuit. We discussed that. That was the whole SEAL Team 6 argument. Um we're waiting for a ruling there. It might go up to the Supreme Court after that. Um uh-huh. while all this is being resolved, the Trump team has said that they should not have to be continuing with discovery and preparing for trial because if Trump ultimately wins on this issue, he's not going to have to go to trial. And so they basically want to hit the pause button on the entire discovery process, uh, which of course will then impact the trial date. Is that right?
1: Yeah, 100% correct, Asha. And just to put a finer point on it, Judge Chutkin had already decided to stay the case. In other words, she has put a pause on the case. But what Smith's team was doing, and they are hyper aggressive, okay? This is the sort of thing I've never seen a prosecutorial team do before in my 20 plus career practicing criminal law is they are doing work and making filings in the case before Judge Chutkin while the case is stayed. And they're like, look, Trump's team doesn't have to respond. And we understand all of that, but we're putting all this stuff out there early. So they get an advantage. They get to spend more time reviewing it. So they can't argue later that they didn't have enough time. And their point is that, hey, You know, we want to they're basically they want to make it as hard as possible for Trump's team to claim after this eventually comes down from the Court of Appeals or the Supreme Court to say, hey, we need even more time to prepare. Trump's team, though, is raising actually a valid argument, which is why Judge Chutkin sided with Trump's team in this circumstance, which is, hey, we shouldn't, as you point out, Asha, if we're reviewing this stuff, you know, that costs money. So when I when I am. Doing work for clients, they're paying four figures per hour for my time. And that's a lot of money. It adds up. It's not costless. And so they're not just giving us extra time, they're imposing on us an expectation that we're going to be getting ready and we're going to be doing things. So essentially, Trump's team wanted to put a marker down there. We don't want to be spending tons of money and attorney time and everything else analyzing all this stuff for a case that potentially could go away. Now, you know, Asha, and I know that uh, the, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is not going to say that Trump can murder and rape and pillage uh, without uh, any consequence. And I I suspect the United States Supreme Court is not going to come out that way either. But nonetheless, um, this, I think, is a valid argument that nonetheless is going to result in delay in this case.
0: Yeah, it sounds like the Smith team is like, look, this is all going to come – we're, we're going to continue with this. And when when it does, we want to just hit the ground running. Um, but as you noted, to do that in the interim imposes a cost on Trump. So, so Chuck Kent has agreed with him. I am wondering, though, like, what are we really talking about in terms of the delay? I mean, this, to me, this particular issue compared to, say, the 14th Amendment issue is a much easier case. Like, it did not seem that any of the judges on the panel were really on board with Trump's view of his immunity argument. I cannot see them ruling in his favor. And I think there's a pretty decent chance that the Supreme Court may not even take the case. They may just leave it. So, you know, what? what's the best case and then worst case scenario that we're looking at in terms of the actual time that this you know, that these proceedings are, are stayed, are are put on pause.
1: So my, my judgment, and I think I said it in a prior episode, was really the same as yours, Asha, that I think that the Supreme Court will ultimately not take the case. DC circuit is going to reject these arguments. They were kind of silly in terms of how aggressively Trump's team made them. In other words, you could make a more nuanced immunity argument, but they did not make it here. Okay. So, Um, it's just a crazy kind of, you can rape and pillage sort of argument. Um, that said, so let's say the optimistic version, okay. The Asha, Asha prediction version, right. Asha and Renato both agree. So let's just say it comes out that way. Let's say the DC circuit, you know, next week or the week after comes out with an opinion. Um, there's still going to be some time where they're going to petition, uh, for the Supreme court to hear the case. And then the Supreme Court is going to, you know, let's say that briefing back and forth takes a month and a half, just hypothetically. And we're into March or April or something along those lines. Then the Supreme Court's like, nope, we're done. We're not taking this case. Well, then you could imagine Judge Chutkin saying, okay, we're going to have trial in a few months. It's going to be in July. And we're going to have a trial in July. That's possible or August or something along those lines. I think giving a few months for that process to play out is, would be reasonable. I think that's probably what she has in mind. Okay. I don't think she plans on like, let's start up and have trial in two weeks. Like that's not realistic, but a few months I think is, the the issue is what happens. You say that's a, that's a good case scenario in terms of speed. The slow case scenario is, um, the, the DC circuit takes another month to come up with an opinion because maybe judge Henderson is not a hundred percent on board with what the, the other two judges want to do. And there's a, a lot of wrangling to try to get a 3-0 decision on the the panel. Or maybe there's a split decision. Who knows? They're both – two different sets of opinions are being written. Who knows? And then it goes up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ultimately takes the case and doesn't set it on an extraordinarily expedited basis. You could potentially have a situation where Chutkin has to make a decision, like do I want to have a trial right before the election, two weeks before the election, three weeks after the election? Something along those lines. And I don't know what she's going to do, but I think there there's a there is definitely a very real possibility. And it could even be 50-50. I don't know as to whether or not the trial ends up happening before or after the election.
0: Yeah, that's a good question in terms of what considerations she should take into account. I mean, we we know, for example, from 2016, um, that the DOJ has a policy in terms of its investigations that, you know, within 90 days, they don't want to take overt steps um, in an investigation because at that point, you're still in an investigative phase and taking those steps before you've actually formally charged someone could color people's perceptions, perhaps unfairly, And DOJ does not want to be involved in influencing that. It seems to me that when you're at the stage of actually going to trial, those concerns are no longer ones that should be taken into account, in my opinion. Like at that point, you have had the due process of the government having to get a grand jury to indict you, of having to you know, get past all of these procedural motions, et cetera, to to go forward. I'm I'm just wondering what obligation. Like, I can see the DOJ policy in terms of investigations. I'm just wondering what are the policy considerations that Judge Chutkin has to try to take into to have to take into account the election. Like, what obligation does she have? That's it's it's a completely irrelevant process to uh, the political situation. As it should be irrelevant to the administration of justice, in my opinion.
1: So um, here's the answer to that. I would say it's very interesting. The answer, I mean, I think there's a, just to be clear, I don't think there's a definitive answer here, but just a, a few reactions that I think we can't be sure about. One thing that we've discussed you and I in the past, Asha, is that district courts, trial courts, like Judge Shutkin, have an extraordinary amount of latitude regarding how they, they manage their trial calendar and their docket. So she has a lot of discretion in terms of what she considers about when to schedule things. That, for, I think, is 100% for sure. Second of all, you're right. I think 100% Asha. there's no policy, there's no rule, there's no law out there that says you can't judge, you cannot hold your trials within X number of days of an election or something along those lines. I agree with that. So the question is just, will Judge Chutkin take into account the fact that there's a presidential election? and i think if we can read so that 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 we don't know but i think reading the tealy of how she's reacted thus far in the case she seems like she's much more on team asha in terms of how uh you view things right rather than maybe somebody who has the opposite view however i will just say that the reason that i frame things the way i did is you know we've never been in a situation like this in a in a presidential race we have had cases by the way i will just note Where senators, governors, and others have been indicted, okay, and other local officials, and and but usually in the cases that I'm thinking of, like the Ted Stevens case, they wanted a fast trial so they could vindicate themselves before an election. They weren't trying to delay so they could get reelected. Usually, it it was destroying the indictment was destroying their electoral chances. But nonetheless, um, to to get right to the point, you know, you're saying it shouldn't matter at all. It'll be interesting to see what Judge Chutkin does if this case ends up going going to the Supreme Court and she gets it in August and she has to make a decision. Do I set a trial for one of the two major party candidates for president, a criminal trial like one week before the election or two weeks before or three weeks before or one week after the election? Like he just got elected president and elect and now I'm going to have him in my courtroom for a criminal trial. It it's just a fascinating question and, and one we you know hopefully doesn't happen because I just think it would be bad for um for the United States uh of America and I think it would be bad for the respect that we have for the judicial system and so on.
0: So I'm just I'm not really understanding though why a delay would have to be so long that it would require Having a trial two weeks before the election. Like before Trump filed this motion, there was a set amount of time that was determined was adequate to prepare for this trial. And March 4th was listed as the trial date. Even if this goes all the way to June, it seems like at that point, there shouldn't, ha- like by August, That should be enough time to prepare and you would be able to have a trial. I agree with you that having a trial like during the election, like having it being unresolved as the election is going on is weird. But I think I would say that there isn't I think there's actually a policy and public interest argument to having this trial be done before the election so that voters actually know whether he's convicted or acquitted.
1: Yeah. I don't, I mean, I think that you could argue both ways. Okay. I don't really think there's a right or wrong answer there. I, I hear what you're saying on that. I just, just to answer the question of a timing, I was assuming that the Supreme court, for example, comes out in July or August with a decision in that circumstance, she would be, you know, trying to have a, a trial in like November or something um, and I don't know,
0: don't they always release their decisions by I mean the latest is like mid June,
1: yeah, usual, yeah, that's right, although this would be a very unusual case that gets sort of done at the very end of the term
0: I mean, if they really want to look like they're super in the bag for Trump by taking this ridiculous issue and then hanging on to it well beyond the end of their term um and crashing and burning their own legitimacy, I suppose. You know, I, I, at this point, I mean, they can do whatever they want, they obviously will. But I feel like the latest that this would happen, latest that they would have a decision would be the wit. you know, when they release all of their decisions, which would be like, whatever, the second week of June or what whenever that is. Well,
1: that may, that may very well be. Um, if that's the case, I mean, I just, I don't think that they're thinking of it in that way. I don't think they think if they release a decision a few weeks later or a month later that they're in the bag for anybody. I just think that, you know, it may be actually ironically be justice is trying to like rein in people who have very dissent, you know, divergent views, trying to get one opinion that everyone can sign on to. I don't know. Um, but I, I'm you asked me for a worst case scenario and a best case scenario and a slow scenario or a slow and fast scenario, however you want to characterize them to me, that's a slow scenario It's like, this is a late addition to the court's, you know, docket for this term, the Supreme court's docket for this term. Cause they are not planning as of today, they're not planning to hear a Donald Trump immunity case this term. So if it gets ended to, it, it depended to the very end and it's something that's considered at the very end. Um, I don't know. I don't know what could happen, but I, I think it's, it's certainly um, possible that it's going to be in the midst of the election season in the fall. I think that's something that's definitely in the cards. So Asha, uh, the last time we talked about Fannie Willis, we had this like hypothetical argument, right? It was like, almost like, like, Let's just um, have a fantasy land about what might or might not happen because we did not want to presume anything. I think, you know, there has now been some reporting uh, in the Washington Post that is more detailed regarding the relationship between Fonnie Willis and a special prosecutor that she hired. Um, And that and a lot of and just to be clear, he's married. And so a lot of this is coming out in his divorce proceedings from his with his wife, but the long and short of it is that it appears based on the Washington Post reporting that the special prosecutor purchased plane tickets for Fonnie Willis, and there doesn't appear to be evidence that she's paid him back. I mean, she could say, hey, I gave him cash. I don't know. But at least as of the time of the reporting, there was no they don't have evidence that she's paid him back for that, which obviously is generating questions, which is why the judge in that case has a hearing where we are you know, recording this on January 23rd. There is a hearing on February 15th regarding, um, you know, what, you know, so the judge can consider what to do, if anything, uh, in the criminal case about this.
0: Yeah, I think maybe we should talk about two different angles here, which is one is. You know, the legal angle, what are the rules, what, um, you know, what is funny will is technically allowed to do or what the judge, you know, what are the remedies that would be available to the judge, et cetera, et cetera. And then the ethical angle. And I think I'm an outlier on the ethical side.
1: So from a purely legal perspective, um, I'll just say this um, at a very high level, it gets to the bottom line as somebody who spent years representing people. And after I became, after I left being a prosecutor represented people on and uh, criminal defendants, the reality is if the prosecutors are sleeping together, that does not mean that you have your indictment dismissed. OK, the reality of the situation is the concern from a criminal law perspective is whether or not there's a conflict of interest that um, will make the prosecutor essentially approach your case in a, in a way that you know they, they're biased again they' they' they have a reason to sort of cook up a case against you be biased against you but if the prosecutor just doing their job all the prosecutors are sleeping together um but they're all sort of have the same incentive which is just to do their job as prosecutors um that doesn't help you as long you know so if the evidence is there and you know the evidence hasn't changed and they're not cooking up evidence or doing anything like that um generally speaking your trial is going to have to go forward
0: Okay, I, I I would argue that there's a conflict of interest here.
1: Yes, and you're not the only one. So let's hear your argument about the conflict of interest. Yeah.
0: So I think there's a conflict of interest along a couple of dimensions. The first is that I can see what you are saying. If this was like, let's just take a regular, you know, DOJ prosecution where you have a couple of AUSA is working on a case. Two of them happen to be involved with each other. Like, you know, they're on the same team. They're prosecuting the same case. I think what you're saying is what, what is happening between them is kind of irrelevant to the merits of the case. And is and you can't make the case that it's influencing how they're acting in the case. I think here it's different because Fani Willis and this special prosecutor are not simply two prosecutors from, you know, just her office. She appointed him as a special prosecutor for the purpose of creating a buffer between her office and the person who is prosecuting the case to ensure that there was some independence in, you know, from from her. Um, so, like, it's just a different relationship than just a couple of you know, line prosecutors at DOJ. The second conflict that I think is even more acute is the financial piece. He's being paid. And then that she is benefiting from that money in terms of the vacations and, you know, things that he is paying for that she then enjoys and goes on. I Whether or not this is the case, I think you can make an argument that in theory, there could be an incentive for her and for him to want to prolong the case, to continue it, to be more aggressive in order to keep the money coming. For him, the money comes and he gets suspended on her and that, you know, ensures you know, keeps maybe he he's like i have to keep doing this cuz she's you know my girlfriend and that that makes her happy and she has an interest in keeping the goodies coming i mean i the financial piece i think is really problematic here
1: so um yeah so let's just uh, i i don't really i don't entirely disagree with you i probably would approach it sl- it's just slightly differently <laughs> in terms of the financial piece I agree with you that that's a very significant problem for Fonnie Willis. Okay. In other words, there could be an argument that a creative prosecutor in Georgia comes up with to say that these are kickbacks of a sort, that I could have chosen a hundred different prosecutors to appoint. I appointed this dude because I know that he's going to like wine me and dine me and whatever. Okay. Take me on trips and so on. And so this is essentially a kickback and this is corrupt and it's a theft of honest services or some other, whatever allegation there is okay regarding what this is these are essentially kickbacks bribes so if that's it, that but that is a Fonnie Willis problem and I'm not sure it taints the prosecution itself in other words like if 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 I represent some defendant in that case and I'm like judge the you know prosecutors got you know hired some the the the, the essentially the number two guy on the case or however you want to look at it um based on some sort of kickback or bribe okay, well, did that, that's fine, but did they like cook up evidence in your case? Did that impact the evidence in your case? What's the, what's the, what's the harm to you? How does this impact the, the case against you? And I'm not sure that that, that, I don't think it goes there. In other words, I think it's a, a funny problem, not a criminal, like something that impacts the criminal case.
0: Well, I, I, I disagree. You know, how, how it would impact you? Maybe, maybe if There wasn't an interest in continuing to make money that would then, you know, benefit this personal relationship that you're having. Um, Maybe you'd be inclined to allow this person to plead guilty. Instead, you're going to continue with the prosecution, which is going to allow you to bill hundreds of more hours.
1: Yeah. I I think, look, I I think that there's something to it. I think as a practical, I think here's what I would say. Is there a theoretical argument regarding conflict? I think there is a theoretical argument that could be made out regarding conflict because you could also argue that whatever, they have an incentive to try to find more defendants to prosecute or other thing, you know, try to go after other Trump associates or something. I've seen that argument made by a a law professor, for example. So I think it is possible for that to be the case. Um, I think as a practical matter given the amount of money involved and so on and so forth. I don't know whether that is a, a practical concern. I will say that if it was one of my clients who was the defendant here, don't think my client would get off uh, simply because of this sort of issue. It's like a very theoretical concern. And the prosecutor, be like there is ample, you know, the judge would be like, well, there's ample evidence or, you know, the allegations are, appear to be supported. But by in it.
0: ethics, ethics, the theory is enough, right? If it's creating a perception. Right. Right. Um, then that is itself problematic like i don't think i mean you're talking about kickbacks i mean you're talking about crimes i I think that the bar the ethics bar is you know a higher bar like you're expected to not simply and like behave in ways that don't break the law when you're a public official you're expected to behave in ways that engender trust in public servants in in the administration of justice and i have to like i'm sorry i like why in the world would you appoint your boyfriend to be a special prosecutor in like the biggest case in the country's history i'm sorry like yeah, that not, is, there's no defense to it's it. just dumb. No, it's, it it's is, just dumb yeah. like i'm like is this guy the most you know the the best prosecutor in the country and no one else can prosecute this case i doubt it i'm pretty sure there are other people in georgia who could have done this and would have been very good at it like why why would you do it
1: yeah so a couple things so first of all i i was talking legals before ethics, so I, I was purely talking about how this would turn on the legal side okay i don't defend her behavior I mean, at the very least it's extraordinarily poor judgment for the reasons you mentioned it appears that this guy may not have all that much experience we're gonna have to that I don't have enough evidence to know how much experience is. But I agree with you. There's plenty of other people out there. And I agree that perception matters. So I think from an ethical perspective, I think that Fannie Willis has issues. Like I said, she may have more than ethical issues. I think that the real open question is what happens in the criminal case. Like if you're a Georgia judge and you have this case and all these people have been indicted, and you've had some of them plead guilty, by the way. Do you want to do the guilty please of Kenneth Chesbro and Jenna Ellis and all these people? What do you do with this case? And I think, in a, at least in most cases, judge is going to look at that. And the, the law generally is against criminal defendants in that circumstance. So I think because people want to know, right, how, how does this impact the criminal case? I may slow it down because I think it wouldn't be shocked if Mr. Wade, I believe his name is Wade, is no longer on the case, and there's somebody else who has to get up to speed. I think it could slow things down doesn't entirely go away? I don't know will Fonnie Willis go away? I mean that's very who knows what will happen to Fonnie Willis um you know that
0: well, my understanding I thought when we were hearing from some experts is that if she's if she goes away if she's somehow disqualified it it could actually potentially dismiss the case with prejudice. I think
1: well, at the very least, if she's off the case, then I believe. Um, Kemp or or the Republican legislature, somebody like that right. would appoint a prosecutor on the case who would potentially see it very differently. So I think at the very least, uh, it could derail the 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 whole enterprise from that perspective for sure.
0: And you know, I feel like I've encountered a lot of resistance, and I think you know, you and I have been a part of these conversations um, when I've brought up the ethical issues and just the conflict of interest, whether or not it meets whatever legal bar it is. And I think it's important for people to really try to look at this from behind a veil of ignorance. You know, I think...
1: You may need to explain that term, what it means.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So a veil of ignorance is a term uh, that was coined by philosopher John Rawls, which is to, you know, take the principle or the issue and imagine that it could be applied to anyone including you know not just not just the interests that you're particularly um, aligned with and so to use that uh you know approach imagine if we discovered that Merrick Garland had a secret relationship with David Weiss and you know that David Weiss was you know making money from being, you know, had this, he approved this budget, and this money that he was making, you know, he was taking Merrick Garland on luxury cruises while he's prosecuting Hunter Biden. I mean, I think we would be like, that's, that's weird. And that's not right. Like, at the very least, it looks really bad. And at worst, like, you have to wonder, like, what what was going on here? Was this like, kind of, Was there is there some kind of agreement on how they're going to do this? Like, what's the point of having a special prosecutor if, you know, they're actually having pillow talk? I, I think if you know we we look at it from another perspective, um, in a way that, you know, would impact our own interests, I think most people would find it problematic. And I also think that it becomes much more difficult to, if you're defending Fani's conduct, to then criticize people like you know, Clarence Thomas for, you know, his um, various convoluted conflicts of the things that he's doing. Like, I don't know. I, I believe in kind of some consistency, maybe.
1: Yeah. I, look, I, so first of all, and it, for those of you who are, are still puzzling over that term, fail of ignorance, which I think you did a great job of explaining, Ash. It's like the golden rule, right? In a way, people mm-hmm. might be familiar with that. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. I, I think. I think there's a lot to that. I want to be clear to everyone. I'm not. I'm not defending unethical behavior or suggesting that prosecutors. I mean, I in my view, I think I've uh, met, met, made this point a lot on, in our podcast. I think prosecutors need to be held to a yes. higher standard. Need to exercise proper judgment because they have so much discretion. They can abuse it. Um, you know, in terms of what should happen in the criminal case, I think that's a tougher call. I know what would happen if it was my clients in some random case. I, I can could tell you right now. Uh, I don't think that they the case would go away whether that happens here in May. Um, I think it's worth people being prepared for that possibility. Uh, I'm not sure that it should um, magically disappear, but um, I think it's fair to say through very very foolish uh, choices, very uh, you know, and very obviously highly questionable and problematic and and so on. Uh, Fonnie Wills may not just have you know, potentially put the case at risk, but put her own, not only her career, but potentially her freedom at risk as well. So Asha, you are in a different locale, mm-hmm. first of all. Okay. This is, is this your regular office? This is my Am office. Right
0: this is like, I'm just letting you see some of the background. here. Yes. Fancy, fancy. Yeah. You got
1: some impressive photos. Who's the, who, is that Jimmy Carter behind
0: you? Uh,
1: in the oh no, that's Bob Mueller. That's Bob Mueller. Yeah, I do have bro- I do
0: have a photo of me with Jimmy Carter.
1: I remember you showed me yeah. that one time. Yeah. Okay, so but and you're also wearing orange. So what's up with that?
0: Yeah, so the Yale School of Management is having a CEO or a, sorry a higher education summit today, um, where they're bringing together a lot of presidents in higher education talk about challenges, which which there are many, and the former president of Princeton, Shirley Tillman is being honored with an award. And um as Princeton alum, I'm gonna go meet her before the award ceremony. Um and so I'm wearing orange and I I have my let's see, where is it? So this is my I don't know if you know, but Princeton's kind of weird. We we have like costumes and jackets and stuff for reunions, but this is my (laughs) reunions jacket, which I'm just gonna Put on, um, yeah. The,
1: I noticed the prince and tigers. Yeah, it's got uh, it's got a really cool
0: lining inside with tigers, and it's really interesting because I have to be honest. I mean, I, you know, I love Yale. We went to Yale Law School, but like at the end of the day, if when push comes to shove, I'm Orange all the way.
1: Wow, I can tell that about you. I know we've talked about reunions and stuff before. Mm-hmm. I don't. So it's interesting. I don't know if I have as fervent of an attachment. I love University of Chicago where I went for, for college. We don't have as cool of a mascot. Our ma- We're the Maroons. I don't even know what. The what is ma- I mean, a Maroon? Like the,
0: what did it look like at football? It's League? like a
1: Phoenix. I think the, maybe the Phoenix. I don't recall. But I mean, yeah, it's it's weird. Um, exa- exactly. Um, <laughs> And our sports teams aren't as good as Princeton's. We're not in like, you know, we're not in the Ivy League. And when I went to Yale, it was like, it was law school, right? Like you yeah. said, it's, it's a totally different thing. So I don't have that same connection at all. Uh, it's weird. I'm a more of a pro sports fan, and I don't feel quite that same um, affinity for for my college.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have like, let's be honest. I mean, I don't know that Princeton, you know, is like dominating sports. Though during basketball season, um, you know, they did really well last year in college right? basketball. Um, I'm going to be going to the Yale Princeton game on February 2nd. I will be wearing orange Um, I may offend people I may offend students I don't know Um, but yeah I just I can't I don't know that the school loyalty just can only go so far from grad school you know
1: wow. Yeah, and I do not go to University of Chicago or Yale games. Uh, Maybe if I went to like Michigan, like some people who went to like schools where they yeah,
0: Ohio, Michigan are obviously big. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, like all my
1: friends who went to Michigan, it's like, oh my god, like it's like a such a big deal. I mean, I you know you go to the game and it's like a whole thing. They're all raising their hands up. It's almost a little, little, little weird, like Um, culty yeah culty like it was like i'm like you guys are all it's like a salute and like a it's a little weird yeah uh when i went to one of their games but they're really into it uh i don't think anybody in Chicago is really into it. same
0: thing stuff. with ohio because you know my boyfriend is an ohio state fan um and like he can't like he can't look at anybody who's like even wearing like anything michigan like it he's like he's like viscerally offended and yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny i don't know um it makes gift giving easy though i got him the first for christmas a few years ago i got him cufflinks made out of the old chairs in the ohio state stadium wow before they redid wow. it, mm-hmm. it wow like, that's quite a
1: that's quite a gift it, okay. was, it was a good yeah, gift. i'm a
0: very good gift giver i'm an amazing gift giver
1: wow i need to come to your house for the holidays this year yeah oh, i give very cool thoughtful
0: gifts. sweet gifts MSW media